from the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. I couldn't do it on that other side. You know, and I, I'd try. And then I'd stop because I couldn't do it. I could only do it going this way. So I just went down into my basement and I kept doing it over and over and over again. <laughs> and then one day it happened. And somehow part of my mind knowing that I wanted this thing so much, taught the other half of my mind or the other half of my body how to do it. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate origami, always have. Um, I can't understand the directions. They're too hard. But one morning I woke up and I thought, I want to do some origami. So I went to the bookstore and I bought the easiest book I could find, and lesson four was The Swan. And I'd never seen this swan before, and I thought it was really cool, much cooler than those flapping birds, which I couldn't make either. And I thought, oh, if I could just do The Swan, I'd, I'd be happy. I'd never go beyond The Swan. So I, I worked on The Swan, and I got the wings, and I even got the little tail. And then there was a part where the instruction said, bring the neck up. Well, if you bring the neck up, it all comes unfolded. And besides, the neck really needs to be up here. And it won't stretch. So I sat there, and I looked at the stupid book. And I said, whoever wrote this book was an idiot. These instructions are terrible. Nobody in the, he must have left something. Maybe there's a page missing. Now I'm looking at the page. And I kept looking at this thing and holding it. And, and then then it was like my hands began to figure it out. That you had to sort of lean it back against the neck and turn it inside out. And then after that, Making the head wasn't too hard. So again, there is this part of your mind that is going to help you out if you really want something and if you keep turning up. And with this book, I had to keep turning up for six and a half years. And I kept feeling really stupid. And it's hard to keep going back to something that makes you feel stupid. All of us want to do the stuff that we can do really well and have everybody say, oh boy, that's good. Um, but with this book, I kept being like somebody in a maze. And instead of being able to go straight like the night fairy, I kept getting lost. So then I started thinking about that really old Greek story uh, which is the story of the Minotaur. 
And I love that story. I don't know if you all know it. There was a Greek king named Minos, and he was an evil man, and he did not respect the gods. Nobody can punish you like the Greek gods. What did they do to Minos? They caused his wife to fall in love with a bull. And when she gave birth, her son was half bull. The bottom half was human, but the top half was a bull, and it ate human flesh. So Minos really didn't know what to do. And he finally called in a genius, a man named Daedalus. And Daedalus made him a maze. And in the maze, every path was so crooked that anyone who entered the maze could not find their way out. And every year, some of Minos's enemies, the Athenians, sent young maidens and young men, and they had to go down into the maze. And before they could find their way out, the Minotaur, who lived in the maze, had found them and eaten them. And this went on for some time, until a hero came, and his name was Theseus. And Theseus was an Athenian. He thought it was time to end this terrible thing of all of these young people being killed by this half-man, half-bull monster in the heart of the maze. And so Theseus went down into the maze to try to kill the monster. Now, okay, I'm flattering myself to think of myself as Theseus. But when I worked on this story, I was a little bit like him because I kept getting lost. And I knew that somewhere in the maze was a monster. And I think writers have to deal with this monster all the time. And the monster is fear. We are sometimes afraid to write the stories which lie closest to our heart because the tale always tells on the teller. And here was this big, ferocious story inside my head with these three heroic children and this terrible witch and this evil puppeteer and this little red dog and this frozen lake. And I had pictures from this story and I, I, I couldn't put them together the right way. So in a way, I was like Theseus, getting lost over and over again and trying to deal with this minotaur, which was fear, fear that I couldn't do this thing that I wanted to do so much. And I got stuck. I got really stuck, um, not once, but a number of times in the course of writing the story. Uh, one of the times I was stuck, I took some time off and wrote The Night Fairy, but then I had to go back to splendors and glooms again. And like Theseus, I kept, well, showing up. You know, I bribed myself. You know, if you read the draft one more time, you can have a cookie. Behold the figure of a woman who motivates herself with cookies. <laughs> um, you know, just read it one more time. Just read it one more time. Read this draft one more time. Read it aloud one more time. Take your computer to the Starbucks. You can have a cinnamon scone, but you can't come home until you have writing on a piece of paper. You know, go to a park. I, every trick in my book to get myself to work, I used 
to try to get this story written. And there were times when I cried and there were times when I prayed and I kept walking around the dining room table talking to my character. interviewed them and uh, I tried to talk to them and I tried to talk like them and I played all kinds of spatial games and I covered the dining room table with graph paper and color coded all the different characters what happened to them and what happened in what order and then I moved the little pieces of paper around and I walked labyrinths, I found labyrinths and uh, walked them thinking that maybe the unexpected path of the labyrinth would jar something loose in my mind that was stuck. And I kept waiting for a breakthrough, you know? And I didn't really have a breakthrough. It was more like undoing a huge knot. I'd loosen a little bit here and loosen a little bit here and loosen a little bit here. And finally, it began to come clean. And the whole time I was the little angel, the little engine that couldn't. I think I can't, I think I can't, I think I can't. And then there was one friend who had been helping me all along. Let me tell you something about friends. When Theseus killed the Minotaur, he had a friend, a beautiful maiden named Ariadne, and she gave him a sword. He hadn't thought to bring one for himself. And she gave him a ball of thread. And so when he went down into the maze, he could find his way back because he had a ball of thread and he had somebody who helped him on the other end. Writers need help. I had friends. I have readers. I can feel them all on the other end of the thread when I'm down there with the Minotaur pulling on the thread and helping me out. I showed the last 100 pages to a friend and he said, you're gonna be done in two weeks, August 15th. I said, I can't possibly be done by August 15th. It's taken me forever to write this much. It's impossible. And he said, August 15th. And I said, no, you don't understand. I'm, I'm, I'm blocked, I can't do this. He said, August 15th, get cracking. It was finished on August 15th. And God blessed my publisher because she fast-tracked it so I didn't have to wait forever to see it come out. And they found the most incredible um, artist to do the cover. I wish I could show it to you. It's got a wonderful, it's got that skeleton puppet on the back and the children on the front. And at last, I had this book that I could hold in my hand that had taken me so long to learn that story. And at last, I can give it to you. Thank you. Does anyone have questions? I'm a reading teacher from New York, and my students are enjoying, have enjoyed for a couple years now, Good Masters Tea oh, Lady. Love it. Um, I'm fascinated by the uh, concept that the Park School must support your writing, as well as that of Leon Tillage. My eighth graders read oh, his, yeah. his book as well. So actually, my question is, can you update us on Leon? Is he still working at the Park School? <laughs> no, I'm afraid we've lost Leon. I'm very sorry. Uh, he's, he's dead. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm very sorry. Well, thank you for sharing that, because they're always asking what, what's going on with both of these, both of yeah. you. And I can say, you know, we listen to you as well, and there are, 
we listen to the audio, not you. And they're like, is it really you? So now I can tell them that your voice is similar now. No. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, I'm a fourth grade teacher in St. Mary's County in Maryland, and I was just wondering what influenced you to become a writer. Um, my original plan was to be the world's greatest actress, and uh, that was what I wanted very much for a very long time. And um, it somehow escaped my notice that I was always writing things. So. I remember making up my first poem before I could even write and going to my mother and saying, hey, write this down. It was a really bad poem, and I'm really happy that it doesn't exist. Um, and I, I wrote stories kind of all through elementary school. And then in, in science class in 10th grade, um, we had a teacher who was, who was dull beyond anything I'd ever experienced before. And he wouldn't let me sit next to anybody because um, I'd talk to anybody. I'd even talk to enemies rather than listen to him. And so he put me all by myself, and so I wrote stories. And that year, my writing really took off. So I, I guess I partly owe it to him. And I, I ended up writing a script for uh, children's theater because I wanted to be in it. And uh, people would come backstage, and they'd say, nice job on stage, really good script. How'd you write the script? And little by little, I came to realize that I really wasn't a great actress, but that I was sort of a good writer. And I decided to stick with that. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Yurei Permash, and um, I work with a local literacy nonprofit called District Children Rooted by Literacy. And this summer, my third and fourth graders really got to live and breathe as readers and writers, and one of my fourth graders has a question for you. How long does it take you to write a book? It really depends on the book. Um, Good Masters, Sweet Ladies, the first draft of that was written in about a month. The Night Fairy was written in two months. This one took me six and a half years. So it, it depends on how hard the book is. I'm so glad you were here, by the way. I, I, I love looking out and seeing children's faces. Thank you. Uh, so are you going to make any more books? Yes. I'm working on another book right now, which I'm not telling anybody about, because sometimes it, it's a little bit more powerful if you keep it a secret. Um, and then there will be sort of a longer picture book coming out. I don't know when, uh, but Candlewick has agreed to publish it, and it's called Princess Cora and the Crocodile. So I'm going to go on writing books as long as I can stand it. Do you write books? Uh, yes. I thought so. I thought so when I watched your face when I was talking. I thought, he's a writer. I could sort of tell. Thank you. Thank you. When, when you're making a character, how do you know that you have when you have the character finished and it's ju they're just right? That's a really interesting question. Um, 
I think the characters, at the beginning, I have to have the right name. And I have books of names, because until I have the right name, I can't get the character straight in my head. One sign that the character is coming along nicely is when you can sort of hear their voice in your head, and you can think of the kind of things they'd say without even working at it. And, um, and also, if they say something that, you, that surprises you. When they say something that you haven't really thought of for them to say, then you know they're beginning to exist by themselves. So if the characters start to move around inside your head and make a little trouble, you know, um, kick the sofa cushions around, then, then you know you're on your way to being finished. Thanks. Thank you. Do you have a favorite book? Um, I have, I have a favorite, all of my books are my favorite books because I have this idea that they're, well, actually, I think they're kind of like horcruxes for those of you who read Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> and I think that they, um, I think their feelings would be hurt, maybe like your stuffed animals, if I liked one more than the other. So I have a, a different reason for liking each book best. And I like this book best because it was more trouble than all the rest. And I like the Good Masters best because it won the Newberry. And I like the Night Fairy best because it's the most beautiful. And I like the Bear Skinner best because I got the words right. And I like the Hero Schliemann best because, um, because nobody else likes that one best. <laughs> and, I, and I like a Drowned Maiden's Hair best because that one's very close to my heart. So I like them all best. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Um, Greetings from a colleague. I am an elementary school librarian uh, here in DC Public Schools. I'm not a writer, but I am a storyteller. And I actually, I'm in my 18th year, and what I do in the summer, or as school is looming, is I find myself writing a story from my summer for my kids. And I tell them the story I teach pre-kindergartners through third grade, and I tell them all the stories during the first week of school. And it changes depending on the age and how many times I've told it. And I do write it down, but I think I write it in my head first. So basically my question is, as a working librarian, and I don't know how old your students are, but do you think about your kids when you're writing your books? and who would love it, and what child would really, really like this character, or what child is this character, and how they're gonna react when they read it. Because my, when I write my little stories that will never be written anywhere permanently, I'm always thinking of my kids. So that's my question, and I'd like to know how old the kids are at Park School. The ones I teach are third through fifth. I used to have second through fifth, but when I moved to three days a week, I had to lose a grade, and I missed my second graders, because that's a special age. But uh, so third grade through fifth grade are my children. And I, I bow to you for being able to make up a story every year from your own head and tell it to children, because that's brave. Uh, that's brave. I do a lot of storytelling, but I never dare to tell my own because I'm so afraid that the kids would, and because I'm afraid I can't tell it properly. So I tell other people's stories. 
Uh, and yes, I think about them all the time. And I can tell you this because I'm in a different city, but Parsifal in Splendors and Glooms happens to be one little boy that could never behave in carpool. He was so bad in carpool. And um, I just started looking at him and thinking, what is it with this kid? And I watched him and I realized he was so imaginative and so lonely. And so he became Parsifal in my story. So I'm thinking about my kids all the time and also what they would like and who would be the person who would read this story. Yes. Oh, they're lucky to have you. When you teach, uh, do you have the students ever act out the stories? Or I suppose that you do. Do you have props and other things? And also, um, as a child, what kind of stories did you usually read? Well, when I teach, I do a lot of sto storytelling at school. And, um, and I, do, I do act out those stories. I, the problem with having children tell stories and I've never solved it, but probably somebody is better than I could, um, is that when you have a class of un, untried storytellers, you kind of have to hold the other 16 down while the one tells, because children are not always patient with the way other children tell stories. And so I've never been able to get over that hump. Um, I did hear that there were some children who liked to play the night fairy at recess. And that was a great honor to me, to think that my story was something that children were playing. Um, as a reader, I was, uh, I liked a lot of old-fashioned stuff. Um, and um, I, I think I read a lot of stuff. I read, you know, Betsy Tacy and uh, The Little House in the Big Woods and a Little Princess and Louisa May Alcott and Anne of Green Gables and The Black Stallion. And, and I read junk, you know, I read lots of junk. I think reading junk is, is kind of a good sign in a reader. I like to see students reading everything, including junk, because I think it's roughage and I think they need it. Um, I have a husband and a daughter who love to write and have wonderful stories in their minds, but they seem to, they have so many of them, and I was wondering if you'd give some advice for them to come from their minds and actually become printed, because my daughter's dream is to see something printed anywhere. And then my second question would be, I'm the non-writer. What role can I take on to, to feed their imagination and to help it to expand? Oh, what a sweet question. Uh, because, you know, you probably are already doing it. You're probably listening to your writers complain all the time because that's what writers do. They complain constantly. Uh, and then they, they, they talk about these stories in their head. I was very lucky that one of my friends, when I first thought of Splendors and Glooms, I took her out to dinner and I said, I had this kind of crazy idea. And I started telling her about the story and she said, oh, that gives me chills. And she showed me that the hair had risen up on her arms. And I think if I hadn't had that first reaction, I might not have read the story. If I told somebody about the story and somebody said, oh, that, that you know, you can work on that, uh, it wouldn't be the same. So that's, 
In terms of your daughter, there is a, a website and a magazine called Stone Soup, which publishes the work of children. Um, and, and they do some things in a regular printed magazine, but I think they publish more online, which allows them to publish the work of more children. I don't know if I've answered your question. I think that it's something that we're all here, so we can think about. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I love having you as my audience. This has been a presentation of the Library of Congress. Visit us at loc.gov.